The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You are listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com, World Talk Radio. And my co-host is Lauren Deller-Blake. Lauren, how are you this morning? Good morning, Catherine. I am excellent, feeling well. I know where you are. I'm in upstate New York. <laughs> you are sitting on a beautiful lake in upstate New York, so you better be okay. I am very good. Thank you. I am. I'm sitting in my um, bedroom um, office place, which is overlooking Screen Lake, and it's a glorious, relaxing, peaceful day with the chipmunks and squirrels running around, and the lake is calm and quiet. Well, it sounds it's ideal or that. idyllic. It's true. You know, it reminds me of that old movie um, on Golden Pond. I, you know, I saw. I don't know that I ever saw the whole movie. I think I saw half of it, like at the end. Just a sweet movie, and the yeah, I think that was there, with you know, uh, Catherine Hepburn and, exactly. uh, and yeah. yeah. I have a movie for you. This is like, a, it's, you, some guys might say it's a chick flick, but I don't think so because I saw it with Barry, my boyfriend, and he cried as well as I did, so we were both crying. I love that. Yeah, it was very sweet. The two of us sitting there crying was really sad, <laughs> kind of pathetic. But anyway, the movie, Annette Benning's movie, Mother and Child. Yeah. It's a fa- it, it is an incredible movie. First of all, Annette Benning is a She's a great actress. She's a Meryl Streep kind of actress. And yeah, she yep. has, yeah, she's just evolved into this like actress who can play many different roles. It's about mother and child relationships, and it's sort of it's like a, um, a Robert Altman film where there are these vignettes of people's lives, oh, and yeah. they're all tied together. Uh-huh. I love those kinds of movies. Well, this is the movie to see with your mother. Yeah, for sure. Now, is it in the theater? It's in the theater, but it's in the theater in in um, the, the theaters that are not don't show mainstream films. It's you know the theaters that show the independent the films movies. and foreign films. Yeah. So you, I so mean, you're not going to see it at the local. I don't think you're going to see it at the local mall. Maybe you will. I don't know, but not in in upstate New York anyway. Yeah. Great cool. film. I'm going to write it down. So I love Netflix. So I just put it on my Netflix list. So I'm adding it as we speak. Oh, all right, good. Yeah, you need to see that. Especially, you can't bring your daughter yet because she's too young. But it's it's a. Uh, I mean, you could bring your husband. He won't cry with me though. Are you? On? <laughs> <laughs> he needs. Well, you know what? He's too young. Maybe. See, maybe. my boyfriend's much older, so he's. Uh, he'll sit there and. Cry. I mean, I look over and he's got this big tear. Oh, yeah. how sweet is that? And then I call him a wimp, a wimpette. Oh, please, come on. That's <laughs> not a wimp. That's a feeling man. A big crybaby. No, come on. That's not good. Now you're going to make him not cry. That's true. Or make him not want to go to the movies with me. Exactly. So mother Lauren, and child. here's another one. This is what I did last weekend. I decided I was going to... It was my... I don't even know if I want to say this, but it was my... Uh, graduate... My graduate... What do you call it? Alumni... Um, Reunion. Reunion. 
and I don't think I am going to say what reunion it was from boarding school. Okay. And I decided I didn't want to. I got went online and looked at all the events. Some of the events they're boring, you know. I went to Abbott Academy, which now is part of Andover, you know, Andover and Exeter, and so it's a. It, they joined together in the in the seventies, and uh, so it's now it's a co-ed school, and it's very different. But I decided. I don't want to go to all those. Some of the events, those things are, like, really boring. So they had a cocktail party and a dinner party in the evening. That was for me. Drove over there and went to the event by myself. Uh-huh. And I had a, I met and talked to so many people. I had such a good time. I didn't recognize one person because, they, I mean, they didn't recognize me either. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. I didn't recognize. I had a better shot at recognizing the women than the men. One of the guys that I met, that I used, to, I used to be president of the debating team. He was president of the debating team at Andover, and I asked somebody to point him out to me, and I went up to him, asked him about himself. Um, he just got divorced after 40 years, so we had a great oh, conversation wow. about that. A lot of people, Lauren, divorced after 40 years. What do you think about that? We're seeing that. Remember we had that conversation about it was um, Al Gore. No, who was it? Yeah. Al it was Gore, that, yeah. Same exactly. Interesting. I don't know what's going on with that. Yeah, well, what... You know, I think forty years. Yeah, forty years. You wonder. Well, I did. You know, I didn't know him well. I wasn't going to. Well, I kind of did ask him, but he didn't want to share that with me. Anyway, uh, so I had a great time. Then came back the next day. Fun. Good yeah. for you. That's always a fun thing to do. It's mm-hmm. always like an eye-opening thing. It really makes you like realize how much time has passed and how much people are the same and different. You know, it's so it's an interesting thing. Yeah, it's sort of an assessment, right? Of yeah. Where you've been and where you want to go. Yeah, it's a great... I, I like doing stuff like that. Not that you want to do it every day because it wouldn't have the same impact, but... Right. Good for you for going because a lot of people... How many people went out of the entire class? Well, our class was a class of the 60s. We were crazy. So there were only like 12 women who came. There were only 70 women in the class. In the men's school, there were 250 men. And I, think, I don't know how many came, but maybe 24. Actually, four women have already died. Oh, wow. Yeah. I guess that's typical, 6%. Okay. 24 men have died out of the 250, which is close to 10%. Men die quicker, earlier. Overall, yeah. Yeah, so that makes sense as well. Uh, You were in D.C., weren't you? I was in D.C. last week, that's right. Yeah, how was it? The women's conference. You know, it was fabulous. It was... um, we did our starfish retreat first. We had women in from coast to coast, literally. So that was nice. And then we really heartfelt connecting big women with big goals, doing big things. And it was nice to connect and have that time together. And then we transitioned from that more intimate retreat to this big NABO National Association of Women Business Owners Conference. And I think there was about 400, 450 um, women there from, again, coast to coast, all over the country, all walks. And so you've got all these women in one place. How many did you say? 450, it looks 450. like. 450. So uh, what's, what came out of it? What's new? What's different this year? Like, say, um, than last you know, year, what are women doing? Because a lot of things have changed economically. Uh, well, I have to say that I really do think that women are feeling this year, and even this month, it's like there's all of a sudden I think women are feeling more confident about the economy again and their future again. I'm seeing a little... More, less reservation, a little more um, confidence just overall. Is it false so confidence was, or is it based on real numbers, stuff? I'm sorry? 
Is it false? Is it just something that's created? I had this discussion last night with a girlfriend of mine. It's just something to make us feel better, that the economy's getting better, that it's just an idea, or is it really, can you see it in, in the numbers and in business and in hiring practices? I mean, is well, there a reality to it? The women that I'm speaking to, their businesses are increasing. They're more, so they're, therefore they're increasing and doing more business. Um, however, I have, you know, what's it from? It's really interesting because I don't think the economy is much better, quite frankly, but I do think that our tolerance for it is finished. Like, um, they're, they're tired of tightening their belts. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, I'm done. I think it's going to be okay. I think it's much more in our heads than in numbers. Because I'm not seeing numbers, but I am seeing real numbers in people spending and, um, you know, investing in themselves again. Yeah, or, or hiring. I mean, that's one sign when businesses hiring, begin to hire more hiring. people. Yeah, but you just said something. It's so people are feeling like, okay, this is the way it is. It may not be great, but I'm not going to feel bad about it, and I'm going to... Exactly. I think our tolerance for it is over. So, but what does that mean in terms of buying? I mean, we're gonna, because before I think we were, and you, we used to, people buy, buy, even if they didn't need things. Maybe we're just, we've, things have come more to the middle. We'll be more realistic about what we buy, what we need, but we have a good attitude towards it. We're not feeling bad for ourselves. We're not yeah, going to buy that, as much. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's a good thing. I think it's a great thing, but I do think that it's it's interesting to see our tolerance for it. It's like, okay, I'm done feeling more, you know, like a victim or feeling like I'm going to, you know, I think that people are starting to feel more empowered just overall. Did you ever feel like a victim? Never. I don't. But I think people are like, oh, I, I hit, never use the economy as an excuse. I refuse to do that. Me too. I don't do it. I think it's an excuse. I think it's, and I do think it's an excuse because I think a lot of people of, I have a couple, one friend in particular who always uses that as an excuse about why she doesn't want to do something. And it really has little to do with spending money or the economy, but more to do with their internal fear of. Exactly. Yeah, making change. Exactly. And I hope to hell she's not listening because. You never know. She's not your friend anymore. Yeah. Well, it could be, hey, in my group, it could be one of many friends, but people That's do true. hang on to that, and they use it as an excuse. And of course, you and I never do that. Well, we don't have a victim mentality, neither one of us. Yeah, I try not to. That's for sure. Well, one of our guests, this is a great book. This is a book almost for you, for, for Sierra, for your daughter. She's a little bit young, but this is a book. Uh, we're gonna. He's going to be on, actually, at the end of the show, Um Brad Meltzer, and he's booked Heroes for My Son. It could be Heroes for My Daughter as well. But he's picked out like 52 different heroes, uh, people from all different walks of life. And um, it's written like a children's book and describes a picture of them, who they are, and uh, you know, a quote from them and what made them a hero. I love that. And we, and, and we do need heroes, especially for those people who want to feel like victims. Hey, there are some people who have been out there in worse times, and look what they've done. So this is perfect, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, okay. And the other one is, uh, I'm so excited, Barry Peterson, Emmy Award-winning CBS News correspondent. You know who he is. You've seen him. He's won zillions of awards, um, covered the awards in Bosnia. He's on the CBS uh, Sunday Morning News, got Peabody Awards, everything. Anyway, Sad, sad story. His wife was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's, and this is yeah, this is their story. So he's going to be on with us for half an hour, and it's it's all about this caregiving thing, which just seems to be coming. I don't know if you. I 
What about these ladies in business? Any of them have caregiving businesses, the ones you saw in Washington? A lot of healthcare stuff. Um, but actually caregivers. Yeah, I think that is a lot of that, actually, now that I think about it. there's, But it's not necessarily called caregiving, but, you know, healthcare, home care. Yeah. Yeah, because they have now very specific, well, that's all part of the whole healthcare thing, but there are some very specific organizations that help the caregiver, the actual person who's doing this caregiving, is a whole new phenomenon because it becomes, uh, uh, obviously, it affects their mental and physical and all that, their health as well as the person who's sick. Anyway, we're going to take a break. Lauren Deller, my co-host, up in... Groon Lake, Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, VoiceAmericaVariety.com, and World Talk Radio. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Money. We love it, we hate it, and everything in between. You can be the master of your life and your own economics. Join Professor Laurie Lamantia each week for the program Making Peace with Money. Laurie will help you realize the power to create fulfillment in your life and shed new light on your money madness. You'll learn how to make peace with money and feel the joy and freedom renewed in your life. Making Peace with Money is broadcast live every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. He'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnist. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time, the number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Listening to the Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll free number is 866 472 5788. That number again is 866 472 5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with the microphone with my co host, Lauren Duller Blake. And you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Thanks again for joining us this morning. And uh, as promised, uh, we have with us Barry Peterson, Emmy Award-winning CBS News correspondent. Most of you, if not all of you, know who he is. 
Um, Barry's book, his new book, is called Jan's Story, Love Lost to the Long Goodbye of Alzheimer's. And uh, it's his story about uh, his struggle, his wife's struggle with Alzheimer's. Um, this, is, this book is obviously a tribute to her and a tribute to you, Barry, as well. Um, I, I just finished the book yesterday. It's, as I said before, we went on the air. I mean, it's an amazing story. It's a sad story, but it's an inspiring story. And, and Alzheimer's, you know, before we talk about the book, what are we talking about in terms of numbers, in terms of people who are diagnosed with Alzheimer's and also caregivers? Because it, it's a family affair. It really is. And when I talk about Alzheimer's, I try to make three points for people right up front. A, there is no cure. B, we don't even know what causes it. C, there isn't even a known way to prevent it. People think, well, diet, exercise, those are good things. Doing a million crossword puzzles, that's fine. But to date, nobody has really found that any of this is effective in, in slowing or stopping Alzheimer's. The scary thing is 5.3 million people have it today, three times that many by mid-century. Um, another way of putting it, today, every 70 seconds, someone is diagnosed with Alzheimer's. By mid-century, it will be every 33 seconds. And if you really want to be frightened about this, consider one statistic. By the age of 85, and I know we all want to live long and healthy lives, by age 85, half the people who reach that age will have Alzheimer's. Is this a, two things I have. Is this a new disease? And But before, I guess maybe before that question, Jan had early onset Alzheimer's, which is even, I mean, it's something I think that most people not necessarily even know about, that she was very young. She wasn't 70s, 80s, or 90s when, when she was diagnosed, but much earlier than that. Well, your point is very, very well taken. I think people tend to think Alzheimer's is really an old person's disease. Many, many people say, oh, my grandmother had it when she was 92, that kind of thing. In point of fact, it can strike people as young as 30. And the scarier thing is that Alzheimer's begins 20 years or so, the researchers believe, before it can actually be diagnosed. So in Jan's case, we went backwards, we thought about it, and I decided that or felt that she began showing the symptoms when she was only 40 years old, 15 years before the actual diagnosis. But, you know, not at the, you don't see this at the time, you don't think about it, but when you think back, you say, oh, she wasn't as ambitious, she wasn't as interested as in finding work, she wasn't really working as a journalist anymore, she was really staying home a lot more. Uh, and then in time comes, you know, she repeats herself, she says the same thing over again, or you tell her something and she can't remember it until ultimately you hit the point where somebody makes the diagnosis. And even with a diagnosis, so little is known about this disease. With all the tools we have, the imaging, MRI scans, things like that, in the end, the doctor will still say to you, we will never know for sure if she had Alzheimer's until she's dead and we do an autopsy and we can look at the brain. So it's a mystery wrapped in an enigma, and that makes it even worse, I think, in terms of trying to deal with it or trying to understand it. Well, what's the difference? You say the doctor says you can't tell whether it's Alzheimer's until actually someone dies, and I guess you have to look at the structural part of look at the brain structurally. Or You what? look for the plaque and the things. that It's actually physical 
blockages between the synapses of the brain. And, you know, there are various kinds of dementia. Alzheimer's really, Alzheimer's kind of begins in the front part of the brain, the frontal lobe, which is really where our personality is and our short-term memory and that kind of thing. As it goes along, it moves through the brain. It kills, literally kills brain cells. For the person who has it, you lose your short-term memory first. You know, I'll go and visit Jan and you know, we'll talk. She doesn't really remember who I am, but she knows I'm somebody who was once important to her. We can show her a picture of me, and she's like, oh, that's a, you know, nice guy, but she doesn't even get the picture of me standing together. Five minutes after I've left, two minutes after I left, one minute after I've left, she doesn't remember that I was there. That's really the frontal part of the brain, the short-term memory. And then most people who have Alzheimer's lose their memory in kind of reverse order. So the, the long-term memories that are most recent are the ones that go first. There was a story a woman told me that she was the, the second daughter who was born and went to see her own mother, and her mother had lost her memory to the point where she didn't remember having a second daughter anymore. All she remembered was the first one, and she said to the second daughter, you're not my daughter. All I have is, you know, this other woman, and it was horribly devastating i mean i don't you know people think well if you're older we expect it we understand it i don't think that's the case i think it's unbelievably painful whatever age when someone that you love no longer knows who you are and i think there that's what stands out in your book i mean you you really describe that i mean that's what's so poignant about it your relationship with jan was your second marriage how much in love you are i mean how she's your best friend um, in bed, out of bed. I mean, you, you and and that the. I mean, you keep you mention it obviously many times in the book, but just the, the grief of the loss of the intimacy of that relationship, and I think that's really important to talk about. I was destroyed. I mean, this was my friend. We'd live, you know, we'd had all these adventures together. We'd had trips together. You know, I like to say to people that that we were a one-word couple. People would always say, Barry and Jan, like there was no space between the words. And we felt like that. And I think we were extraordinarily happy, and I don't think really we ever took it for granted. It was just amazing. And I lost her first as a person. She began to diminish, um, you know, certainly no longer a, a partner in the in the relationship in the sense that she couldn't really do anything. I I ended up paying all the bills, making all the arrangements, doing all the travel, all that kind of stuff. And finally, in the end, I think the last thing was I lost the intimacy that a you know you have with the person that you love, who is in fact your lover. And I think that was when true desolation set in. That was really at the point where I began to think. What's the point of going on? I mean, why keep going? Because I had I had had so much, and then I lost so much. I didn't really think like it was worth trying to do this over again. Um, and I maybe that sounds overly dramatic, but from the inside looking out, it just seemed like the easiest thing would be just to go away. I mean, literally, I was like at a place where there was a cliff, you know, a house overlooking a cliff, and thought, you know. Maybe it's not the easiest or the smartest or the best thing to do to walk off a cliff, but for God's sake, at least the pain would end. And it was truly, truly tempting. So what do you think it is about you? Because you 
you finally, or I, I think not just finally, you all along were able to do this. You did healthy things for yourself as you, I mean, you did unhealthy things as you were deteriorating and t- trying to take care of her and struggling and food and alcohol and self-medication and depression and all those things. But, like, if you're talking to an audience or somebody who has the same, who's suffering with the same problem, what would you say to them? How did, I mean, because you did some very good, I mean, you did some good stuff. You got help. You found a, a nurse to help you. You did things that, that for Jan and for yourself, because you have to do things for yourself as well. I think that was a, it was a realization that if, you know, if I was going to take care of Jan, I had to be healthy. And the, the statistics are not good in this. Surprisingly, it's often the caregiver who dies of stress before the person with the Alzheimer's. In my arrogance, I thought that, that meant the 82-year-old wife taking care of the 85-year-old husband and that, you know, she would falter under the stress of doing this. But, you know, I was in my 50s when this process started, and I faltered under the stress. We did hire a nurse who, who from the U.S. who came to live with us in Tokyo. We were in, both in Tokyo and Beijing, living in both cities. Traveled, watched over Jan, took care of her, and yet... The real stress and the real caregiving was really mine. And I will confess, you know, I tried to hide in, in you know, too much alcohol at night, and especially after we put Jan in an assisted living facility. Um, I made some truly unhealthy choices until it really hit me that if I wasn't there, you know, I was the person who was going to take care of Jan. She would have done anything to take care of me, and I realized that I had to do exactly the same to take care of her. The first part of that equation is to take care of yourself. Um, so I did, you know, I've like, I mean, this sounds so trite, but truly I've lost the weight. Um, I think I've gotten my blood pressure down. It was way off the charts. The, our living caregiver was an, is a nurse, and she was alarmed at what was happening to me. Um, and so I, you know, I think that, you want to escape. You really want to get away from this because you're at it 24-7. Um, and there are some really unhealthy ways of doing that. In my case, you know, sitting there drinking wine and, and you know, eating overeating and things of that sort. But, I mean, certainly understandable. I mean, and those are, I mean I, but on the other side of it, you also reached out to people. I think there was a, a, a person in the book whose wife it's, it was, I suffering from Alzheimer's, but she was a little, had reached, what is it, seven stages? She had was yes. a little bit ahead, and you, co- you corresponded with him. I mean, those are all good things to do in terms of getting support, and you, you were able to do that, or you did that. Yeah, I think it's critical. I think you've really touched something that's truly critical here. You know, caregiving, you tend to become very, very alone. Your circle of friends diminishes because you don't go out that much, because the person you're taking care of really can't handle social situations. In my case, it was life-saving to reach out to other people who said, I've been there, I understand it, you know, here's what you need to watch out for, here's what's going to happen to Jan. To feel that you are not alone is the ultimate message of any Alzheimer's caregiver. You can't do it alone, and you've got to have people who reach out and help. Talk about your anger, though, because that's natural as well. You know, you are the care- you're doing the right thing. I mean, people... 
are sensitive to that, but you know what? You get at you're you're human. You get angry, and um, I think there was one incident in in the book that you talk about when you got mad at Jan and are angry, really angry, and how oh. guilty you felt. Yeah, we actually took her on vacation to Maui, and she, through a complicated set of circumstances, we managed to lock the keys in the car, and I hadn't realized it, and it, it was like she forgot her purse and all these kind of things, and I got so amazingly angry it's like just the frustration of dealing with this like having to think for two people all the time and it devastated me that i was like that i don't think she really quite understood or quite realized but i did how can you be angry with someone like that and it haunted me that my emotions were so raw that i was in that kind of a condition it was a real warning sign to me that the caregiving that I was doing had to come to an end, and I had to really move on to the next stage, which was to put Jan into assisted living. And the exhaustion, you know, you lose yourself sometimes in the exhaustion, and that was a wake-up call that I wasn't doing it right. Well, you know, um, and I, as much as I felt awful about being angry with her. How could you be angry with her? She hadn't done anything wrong. Well, you know, it's almost like it reminded me of, of uh, stressed out when you're a mom and you have your, you know, and with a child and you finally reach your breaking point and it's obviously it's not your, chi- it's not the, your child's fault, but uh, you've, you're exasperated and, uh, and afraid of your anger and it, it reminded me of, you know, those kinds, that kind of a situation. Anyway, we have to take a short break, but we will be back with Barry Peterson, Emmy Award-winning CBS News correspondent and author of Jan's Story. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Don't go away. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, this is Dr. Vijaya Nair. Together with my dear friend, Dr. Howard Piper, we are hosting our own show called Kiss Your Life Hello. We are two internationally recognized experts, researchers, authors, and health advocates in holistic medicine and counseling. We promise you a fantastic show with interesting guest experts to educate and entertain you with the latest information on mind, body, and spirit wellness. Join us on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. See you there. If your pets could talk, they'd tell you to tune in to Pet Shop Talk. Join internationally recognized animal massage therapist Lola Jean Michelin every week for a show that covers everything from nutrition, health care, and training for your pet or animal. Lola and her guest experts will bring you the latest trends in the pet care industry. And even if you're not a pet owner, you'll find out why pets do the crazy things they do. Tune in each Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. 
Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. listening to the Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com, World Talk Radio. My co-host is Lauren Beller-Blake. And our guest this morning is Barry Peterson, Emmy Award-winning CBS News correspondent and author of Jan's Story. Um, we, and which we've been talking about for the beginning of the show. Um, and Jan was diagnosed with Alzheimer's when she was only 55 years old, so that's early onset Alzheimer's. And um, this is her story, and this is your story too, Barry, obviously. One of the things that we didn't talk about was, um, was you know, in taking care of yourself, both obviously physically, but also emotionally and socially, um, you now have uh, another relationship. Um, talk to us about that. Or I was very fortunate in the sense that it was actually Jan's mother who sent me an email and said, you know, you really need to think about having another relationship. Jan's lost to us. She's not going to know. One of the hard things about Alzheimer's is people don't realize that the person is physically in front of you and looks great, but that person is gone. The person that you loved is gone. I thought about it. I reached out. I'm embarrassed to say somebody signed me up for Match.com after we'd had a vast amount of wine. Um, but I did find a remarkable person. Her name is Mary Nell. She's a widow. She really she lost her husband in an accident about six years ago. She understood and helped me with the process of grieving. But she also is more than you know the person that I love because I love her very very much. She's also the person who's helping me take care of Jan. And, you know, she said the other day she loves Jan. She thinks of Jan as her friend. And so we, we really have this odd construct. We're a family of three. Mary Nell and I and Jan are a family. We watch over Jan. She doesn't physically live with us, but she lives 20 minutes away. We go see her. Mary Nell comes with me on each visit, first because she likes to be with Jan, and secondly so she can help me because each visit is readjusting to the changes and the deterioration. So I am extraordinarily lucky, although there are people, I'm still married, and frankly, I'm not going to divorce Jan, I'm still married to Jan. There are people who say, you're a married man living with another woman, your wife is in a facility, you're going to burn in hell. Why Why would they say that? Because you're... You know, I'm immoral to them. Uh, you know, as you're telling, as you're describing the relationship, it's it's you're strengthening your family, and you and and first and her and also I would her mother. It was Jan's mother who made the suggestion that you need to be with somebody else. Where do you think that comes from? I mean, is that just moralistic stuff, or you know, people criticizing you or judging you because you're with somebody else who's who's not just with you, but she's with Jan as well? Yes, you know, I. I accept other people's criticism, and I accept how they feel. I'm a journalist. I've spent my life listening to people and finding other opinions. 
And although this is my actual life, I still have to honor and respect that other people may not find that acceptable. All I can say is this so is what, do you what say the disease to does to people. It's what the disease does to families. It's the choices that I made. It's the, you know, Mary Nell came into this with eyes open and has been extraordinary and helped me with Jan. And I am perfectly comfortable with what I have done. But I really understand if other people will say it was a horrible thing that you did. I understand that. I don't accept it, but I understand it. Now, you you have the support of Jan's mom. What about your two daughters? Um, my two daughters, they're from a, a previous marriage, from my first marriage, but they had grown up with Jan. Jan always organized the vacations, and I think that they're very close to her. They were very, very gracious when I introduced them to Mary Nell. Um, they said to me afterward, Dad, if you break up with Mary Nell, we're keeping her and we're dumping you. <laughs> so it was a... As charming and as funny as it sounds, you know, it was a great affirmation that they were willing to accept that I needed someone in my life, and I am extraordinarily lucky that that's how they handled it. It doesn't always go that way. Um, this is a new, as you, and I think you said it, um, Barry, it's, it's a new phenomenon, isn't it? I mean, because of, I mean, we have this, this growing list of, of baby boomers. I mean, this is going to be much more common, I think, within the next five to ten years, and also the kind of relationship that you have, I think, will be much more acceptable to many more people. I think very much so. You know, I think that you, you really, if you're in a relationship, if you are in love with the person that you're with, I certainly hope so, you need to look across the table at that person and say, what's going to happen if he or she is no longer with me mentally, because this stuff is coming at us like a freight train. So you really have to kind of look or think, what if I'm the one who goes away? What do I want for the person I love? And I, after my experience, I beg people to have this conversation. I'm sure you've said the same thing to people. Don't wait until it's too late. Don't wait until you can't talk about this anymore. Talk about it now. What do we want for each other if one of us goes away? And with Alzheimer's, you only go away mentally. The person is still there. The body is still there. People are, can be remarkably in great physical shape. You've got to know this now if this should ever happen to you or you will go through the agony that I went through because I never asked Jan about that and she never asked me. You know, I'm thinking we have these healthcare proxies, which has just become popular, and that's all about the physical. You know, what to do if I become incapacitated physically, or um, but now we need to add, as I'm listening to you, perhaps another piece to that: the emotional, um, the social, and make that just a part of you know the same thing that we do with with healthcare proxies when we tell our our spouse or our partner, what we want to happen if we become physically incapacitated. What do you want for the person that you love if you are the one who goes away mentally? What does the person you love want for you? It's not an easy conversation, but should, God forbid, this happen, it's a conversation that will save your life. You'll have some understanding some sense, some idea of what the person that you love wanted or what they want for you. And, you know, if there's one mistake I made above all others, it was not having that conversation. 
Well, when would you have had that conversation? When do you think people or couples should have that conversation? And how? Well, you'd like to think you'd have it in on a you know on a really great day at a you know at a beach when you can talk about these things in a in a wonderful kind of serious way apart from other distractions. In my case, I certainly could have had it after Jan was diagnosed. She was still able to talk about things like that. I think the hesitation people have is to have the conversation to say what's going to happen when you disappear into this disease is like admitting defeat. You know, we're not going to admit defeat. We're going to fight this disease. We're going to beat this disease. And that's the attitude that you come at it with. And to say, but it's fatal, what are we going to do, somehow admits surrender. I think that's the hesitation. I understand it. I still say, please, dear God, have the conversation. Yeah, well, what it does is if you start discussing it, it, it makes it real. And you don't want, and I think initially, whatever someone, you know, when you're diagnosed with a, and, and you said you, in the book you didn't really want to use the word terminal illness because that's really what it is, uh, there's that whole sense of denial. Now, some people get through the denial in a short period of time, other people it takes a longer time. So you kind of have to work through that, don't you, before you're going to be able to discuss what you yeah, want to I think have. I really did denial exceedingly well to my detriment. I think that, you know, I wanted to deny it. I think Jan wanted to deny it. I think that's really normal. And I think, you know, the the point, which I think you're making, is really true. You've got to punch through that part of it. You've got to get through the denial. You've got to have a moment of sanity where you can have this kind of conversation, or you will regret it forever. That's it's tough to do, but I think when you know when you write, well, obviously writing your book, writing the story. I mean, that's helpful to people. That makes it real. I mean, just in the, I've never really read a book quite like yours. Um, it's it, it it you know in covering all of these topics, but in a very personal way. And I think and, and you do say that in the book when you're writing to family and friends and updating them. Um, about what's happening to Jan, how difficult it is to be so personal or to talk about your life and her, your relationship with her in such an intimate way, but then you help so many other people. I think as a journalist, I've always been trained to be the outsider looking in and, you know, having to be the insider looking out and telling the story was really odd for me. Uh, and I just kind of vowed that whatever it was I was going to tell, I'd lay it out, I would tell it. And, you know, if it, when the next caregiver comes along who may read this book, all I'm saying is this is only one person, this is only me, and it's just my version of what happened. Everybody has to invent as they go along. But the key is you're not alone. Somebody else has been down this road and you're not alone. And, you know, even as we are talking, People are being diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Even now, every 70 seconds in this country, another person is about to begin the journey as a caregiver with no idea what's coming and no sense of how they're going to handle it. So maybe we, could, we only have a couple minutes left. Be specific in terms of what, where people can, listeners can go. I mean, there's the Alzheimer's Association, but there are many places, and now with the Internet, there's more access, there is access to many different organizations that, that one could connect with. If There really is. I think the information is readily available. Like all of us, we can go to the Internet and get it. But I think the information that people really need, if you're on this journey or beginning this journey, 
is the help of someone else who has been there. That made all the difference for me. Someone who had been there, I would, you know, call or talk or email or say, here's what I'm feeling or here's what Jan is going through, here's what I'm seeing, and they would share similar stories of their own. And to call and say to somebody, it really makes you understand or feel that you're not the only one doing this, and it's such a lonely trek. And I think that really helps you get from today into tomorrow. And when you're in a caregiving situation like that, i got to tell you, getting from today into tomorrow can make all the difference. Just getting that far along, just another step on the road. Well, I want to recommend the book to all my listeners, and you can buy the book, obviously, bookstores everywhere, online. Uh, you can go to the uh, one website that you have on the Alzheimer's Association, uh, www.alz.org. And, um, Barry, do you have a website? I do. It's my name, and everybody gets it wrong, so I'll spell it. It's Barry Peterson, but it's Peterson with an S-E-N. I'm a good Dane. <laughs> www.barrypeterson, barrypeterson.com. I think you you're a great Dane. You can read the prologue. You can see what other people have said, extraordinarily gracious things. And there's also a place there where you can go to Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and places like that and order the book. And thank you so much. For saying Thank that it was so a wonderful book. It was book. really, it was a pleasure <laughs> having you on the show. That. Thank you. Thank you. All right. uh, we're going to take another break. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone with Lauren Beller Blake. We'll be back in a few minutes. And our next guest is Brad Meltzer, author of Heroes for My Son. Don't go away. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Best Boomer Towns delivers the inside scoop on the best 21 places to relocate or retire in the U.S. Listen to columnists, town bloggers, and local residents as we highlight a town each week. Talk show host Nancy Shaka brings you the best and the brightest. As a baby boomer, you experienced Beatlemania, Woodstock, Vietnam, and the women's movement. Today, you're educated, health-minded, and thinking about where to spend your future. Tune in at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, to Best Boomer Towns every Thursday on the Voice America Variety Channel and start planning the best rest of your life. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your teams. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. Lauren Deller-Blake. Lauren, you still with me? I am. We are here. I am Catherine Zox, and 
You're all listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Uh, our next guest is Brad Meltzer, and he's author of Heroes for My Son. And you, most of you probably know Brad. He's uh, a number one New York Times bestselling author of the Book of Fate uh, and a whole list of books, which I am not going to name right now. But you can go to his website for more information, bradmeltzer.com. Uh, a very cool, another very cool book. It's almost his book is Heroes for My Son is the, the, the way the book is set up. It looks like a children's book, but I think it's for children and adults as well. And um, he put together a book for his son, and I, I assume the picture on the front of the cover is a picture of his son, uh, that um, highlights heroes, really, what, 52 heroes, men and women, Wright Brothers, Jonas Salt, Jesse Owens, and, and, and many more, uh, and, and tells their stories. Uh, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Brad. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, as you said, eight years ago, on the night my son was born, I said, I'm going to write a book that lasts his whole life. And I came home from the hospital that very first night, and I said, I started writing rules for him to live by. I said, be nice to the fat kid in class. And I thought that would be, you know, really smart of me. The truth was I knew nothing about fatherhood. It was day one of being a dad. And someone told me this amazing story about the Wright brothers. Is every time the Wright brothers would go out to fly their plane, they would bring enough materials for multiple crashes, which means every time they went out, they knew they were going to fail. And they would crash and rebuild and crash and rebuild. And that's why they took off. And I love that story. I said, I want my son to hear that story. I want my daughter to hear that story. I want them to know that if they have a dream and they work hard, they can do anything in this world. And I said, that's what I'm going to give my son. Not a book of rules, but I'm going to give him proof that anything's possible by showing him the great stories and collecting heroes throughout history from Rosa Parks to Mr. Rogers to Jim Henson to George Washington. And that's where Heroes for My Son was born. And each one of these heroes, I mean, they, they, men, women, black, white, from all around the world, they come from very different disciplines. I mean, you, the Wright brothers, I think the story about the Wright brothers is great because somehow in our minds, or at least I, I, I sometimes feel like, well, you know, the Wright brothers, they were geniuses, they were smart, they, were, they didn't necessarily make mistakes or they weren't prepared to make mistakes. I mean, that's a really important piece to, you know, what you just, uh, you yeah, know. As you well, just, I think what we do with these people is we turn them, from, from people into icons, and in the process, they become less than human. And we must never forget that they're just like us. They're, it's not that they're special. History doesn't choose just special people. It chooses everyone every day. And I will tell you that I've tried to find the moment you didn't know about each person. So, for example, Thomas Jefferson is in the book, but not because he wrote the Declaration of Independence. He's in it because he never took credit for writing the Declaration while he was alive. He never went up in front of everyone and said, hey, you know that declaration you all know and love? That was me. I wrote it. And I said, I want my son to learn that kind of humility as a moral. I just think that's vital for anyone growing up today. That's going to be, that's a, and that's a daunting task today because everyone's on YouTube because there, it seems to me that, you know, we've kind of gone into the, we have this kind of narcissistic society. Everybody wants to be out there, you know, reality TV. Um, it's probably very difficult to find that kind of an example, a Thomas Jefferson example that you, that you just mentioned? You know what? Um, it is, but, and that's why I wrote the book. I, you know, I said, I want heroes for my son to prove that it's not just one time this thing happens. It happens over and over through history. I mean, I can tell you, if, you know, if you ask me, I'll give you just an example. Um, 
you know, 90% of the people in the book you've heard of, right? You've heard of Thomas Jefferson and Muhammad Ali. I've heard Ali of all and, of them. Right? You've heard of Jesse Owens and you've heard of, of Jackie Robinson and Martin Luther King Jr. and Gandhi. And, but there's 10% in there you don't know. And there's a guy named Frank Shankwitz who was a police officer. And Shankwitz found out about a boy with leukemia who also wanted to be a police officer. So Shankwitz had a little motorcycle course made for the boy so he can ride his toy motorcycle, had a little uniform made for the boy to put on, and the boy eventually went into a coma, and Shankwitz went to the boy's hospital room to pin little motorcycle wings onto the boy. And as he pins the wings on the boy, the boy wakes up out of his coma and smiles. And the boy eventually dies, uh, and as Shankwitz comes back from the boy's funeral, he looks at his buddy, and this police officer says, you know, we made that kid really happy for just one day. We should do that for other kids. And that's how the Make-A-Wish Foundation was born. And I didn't know that story, but I want my son to know what you can do if you have a good idea and you tell that idea to someone else. That's the power of who we are, and that's what I wanted the book to be about. And it is. It's, uh, you know, I was, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, who has always been a, a hero of mine, and I just want to read the quote from the book and then have you comment on that and why you chose her, but she says, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Yeah, I mean, just a vital lesson for our boys and girls, right? A vital lesson for you and for me. These are lessons that we need as adults. And I just had, you know, a national column say that, that Heroes for My Son was the book, the best graduation present for kids from high school to college to anywhere else. And, um, and I think it's because of, you know, pages like the Eleanor Roosevelt one. You know, she's in the book. We all know Eleanor Roosevelt, but this is, you know, I think the story that she's in there for, and she was one of the hardest to find because there's so much stuff written about her. But after World War I, uh, 17,000 veterans came camping and sent up a little, a little shanty town in Washington, D.C., complaining that they didn't get their back pay for fighting in World War I. And the president at the time uh, sent in troops and General MacArthur and all these people. Hoover had sent in all these people. By the time FDR was elected, he sent in no troops, no tear gas, no bullets. He sent his wife, Eleanor Roosevelt, all by herself. And she walked among the troops and listened to them and listened to their concerns. And by the time she was done, legislation was passed for the Civilian Conservation Corps and that eventually led to the GI Bill of Rights, which gave that, uh, you know, such great opportunities for our troops based on what she heard there. And I said, you know, that's a story I never heard about her and one that inspires me to this moment. But if you said to me, who's the best hero in the whole book, it's my mother. My mom died two years ago from breast cancer. And it's the real reason her death was the reason that I said, I'm going to finish this book, one of the real reasons for me. And a few years back, my publisher was shutting down. I didn't know if anyone was going to take over my contract. I thought it was the end of my career. And I was so anxious that I called my mom to tell her how scared I was. And my mom said to me, I'd love you if you were a garbage man. And it wasn't anything she practiced. It was just what she blurted at that moment. And to this day, every day I sit down to write, I say those words to myself, I'd love you if you were a garbage man just soaking in my mom's love for me. But for you or anyone else, the best pages in the book are the last two pages. They're blank. And they say, your hero's photo here and your hero's story here. And I promise you, you take a picture of your husband or your father, your grandfather, your mom, your grandmother, a teacher in your life, you put their picture in this book and you write one sentence about something they've done for you and you will have the most beautiful page and beautiful gift in Heroes for My Son. This is, you're absolutely right, and I, I just, um, I thought about that. I'm not sure her, I mean, I have to think about it, but um, 
you know, you mentioned that this book, you know, who I would put in there, but, you know, you, Brad, you say for high school kids or college kids, this is for middle school kids, too. You have to, I, I think, I think this is appropriate, really, from, you know, 8 to 80. This oh, yeah, no, no, and that's what we're seeing. You know, we had a, a preacher recently told us that he told his entire, he want, he's telling his entire congregation to buy a copy of the book, and the whole family, every night at dinner, should read one hero and discuss it every night at dinner. And I've never seen a reaction to anything I've worked on like I've seen to this book. And it's not because of anything I've done. It's these heroes and their amazing stories. Um, and these we have stories a couple minutes incredible. left, and one of them that you put in is my hero, Rosa Parks. It makes uh, me yeah. cry every time I think about her. Yeah, you know, Rosa Parks is a perfect example of someone that I think, you know, is just about everybody's hero, right? She's amazing. She's incredible. But, again, she's become almost untouchable because she, doesn't, she, she becomes a superhero almost as opposed to a real person. And what I found about her when we did the research was the bus driver that she stood up to that day on the bus was not a new face to her. He had actually threatened her before. He had kicked her off the bus before um, when one time her purse fell and she had to sit down to pick up her belongings in the white section of the bus as she was sitting down. He kicked her off the bus and she had to walk five miles in the rain home. And I love the idea that who she was standing up to was someone who had been a bully to her before. Yeah. And, and I and love knowing the, the moment the that what he yeah, said. Yeah, I, I didn't know about it, and you're right. Most people didn't. We have to say goodbye. I hate to say goodbye, but buy the book online, bookstores everywhere. Brad Meltzer, Heroes for My Son, and Heroes for Your Daughters as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone with Lauren Deller-Blake. You've been listening to our show, The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com. Have a, great, have a great day, and we'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.